from Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Unscripted, Stuck at Home. I'm your host, Scott Talal with the Malibu Film Society. Our guest today is Oscar-nominated actress Catalina Sandino Moreno, who stars with Shea Wiggum and Michael Shannon in the new film, The Quarry. So, like everyone else, you're stuck at home. Talk to us about that. How have you been spending your time? Well, I think it has changed. I think the first week that I was stuck at home, I was not that unhappy. I was like, well, this is this is going to be good. I don't have a crazy social life, so it's going to be fine. I'm doing the same things I'm usually doing. I'm just staying at home with my kids, so it's, it's going to be okay. The second week presented a little bit more challenging because the kids started with online classes. Mm-hmm. And that was a big challenge for both of us because I didn't know Zoom very well. He didn't know Zoom very well. So uh, changing classes and all that stuff was a little bit challenging mm-hmm. and a little bit frustrating. The cooking, the dealing with the kid, trying to keep our sanity. And then the third week, or I don't know what week we are now, but I'm starting to feel very grateful for my situation. I've been listening to a lot of people that have to go out to work and expose themselves and, you know, they leave from paycheck to paycheck. So I'm, I'm just grateful of the situation that we're in. We're safe. We have food. We have shelter. And we just have to be patient for this to side. What are you doing with all of your creative energy? It's gone, Scott. It's completely gone. That's something that I I, I tried to do something at the beginning with my brother. My brother lives in Colombia and we're writing a script together. And I just couldn't keep going or keep helping him or keep collaborating. It's very difficult for me to find some sort of creative muse in this situation where you're scared of other people, Mm -hmm. where you don't feel safe in your house, basically, you know, just to think that, oh my God, I touched my face. Did I wash my hands? Did I touch that? It's it's a constant like OCD that I've been having. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very difficult for me to find that creativeness these times. One of the films you've done previously was Life in the Time of Cholera. Yeah. Did it prepare you in any way for the reality of what we're dealing with now? No, not really. No, I don't think anything could prepare us for what we're dealing with now. You know, I've seen movies like Contagion, and you see that as science fiction. That's never going to happen. It's crazy that we have to go through it. You know, I have a few friends that are getting better from COVID, and their experiences are so scary. It's just unimaginable that we're going through that. It's just hard to comprehend, I think, for all of us. Let's talk about something a little bit happier. Not that it's a happy movie per se, but it's some admirable work, your movie, The Quarry. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie that was written and directed by Scott Teams. What was it about this role that you wanted to bring to life? I mean, the script was completely different from what the movie is. In the script, I could see a growth in this character of Celia. She started the movie being stuck in a place. She doesn't leave her life. I mean, like, you can see it even in her wardrobe. And she doesn't care about her, you know, physical appearance. And then by the end of the movie, you see this woman taking charge and taking, you know, her life in her hands and actually living, starting to live. And you know that she's going to do something. She took the first step. 
And that's what I love about this script is the evolution of these characters. I think the description I could give to this film is that it's a movie about broken people living broken lives in a broken town. Yeah, completely. Talk to us about how you approach this role of Celia. I didn't want her to be, oh, poor Celia, she has to stay there. I didn't want her to be pitied whatsoever. She's aware of what she's doing and she just, she's never seen the world. So coming from that place of a person never see what's behind the door, I didn't never feel pity for her. I never felt that she was, if she had chosen different, if she had chosen not to say that thing at the beginning, or maybe when she was younger, she wouldn't have stayed all her life. Mm -hmm. It was something that she decided to do and she felt comfortable. And when people feel comfortable, there's no reason why change is necessary. But when the Shewigam character comes in, she realizes that, well, maybe there's a bigger world out there that I can explore. With the exception of Bobby Soto, who plays the character of your older cousin, and it's really explosive, Valentin. Yeah. All of the other performances, including yours, seem to be very quiet and more to the point, very restrained. With the character of Shay, I mean, I love watching him. He's pauses are so full of, there's not just pauses. He's delaying the time for people to figure it out who he really is. Working with Michael and Shay, I think we all had to be at the same pace, at the same depth, if I might say, because these guys, the way they work, they take the pauses, but it's not gratuitous. I mean, that pause means something. I love that about them and watching the movie. Valentin even how explosive he is, the way he talks. I think it's all very detailed. Like everyone put so much detail in their characters, which was also written in the script. I find it interesting that you emphasize the pauses and the ability to communicate non-verbally. Because in one of the interviews you gave for Life in the Time of Cholera, the reporter's quoted as saying that you can answer a question with a single raised eyebrow. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said when maybe people can't express what they're trying to say, but I think their bodies can say it better than the words. Maybe that's why I love theater so much, because it's very physical and just the physicality of a character, it's very important and says a lot about who you're trying to portray. Michael Shannon and Shea Wiggum, they've done so much together. Your character is the only woman of substance in the film. Was it difficult to find your way into that relationship or did it just come very quick and easy for you? I think these two guys, I mean, I admire them deeply. They've been doing this for such a long time. And one of the things that I learned from them is the camaraderie. It's not just, I learn my lines, I do my thing and I'm good. Is I have to take care of you as well. So they have that. They took care of me, basically. And, you know, when we were trying to find a scene, they were there to give me a hand all the way through. They asked me, what did I need? What do they need? They were very communicative, which was fantastic. Because sometimes you just get into sets and people have their own agenda and they do their own thing. And there's not a lot of times where you go into set and you find these people that like the material, they want to help you, and they want the best for everyone. And that was something really fantastic that I found in this movie. 
Are there any particular scenes that you can reference as an example? There was one specifically that unfortunately didn't make the cut for the movie where you understood who Celia really was. Why was she there? And it was a conversation that she had with Shay mm-hmm. and where she tells him her life, basically, and her uh, fears. And it was very sincere and it was a very beautiful, open conversation. And it was half in Spanish, half in English. And it was not just a collaboration with Shay, but it was a collaboration with the director and camera and like... They just wanted to make sure that Shay and I were comfortable. And it was kind of like a shame that it was cut of the movie. But sometimes in movies, you just have to sacrifice pieces to make the movie work better. Given how closely they had worked together in the past, how much of a natural rhythm and language they had between them, you don't feel like it was a boys club on the set? Not at all. Not at all. Michael is very quiet. He wants to take his space. He was not just, you know, hanging with Shay in between takes or or anything. He just takes his time and his space. And I think they both know how to work with each other, what they need. And I love that. It was not like I was left out or anything. Um, Mm. I think we each had our own time and space. And when we came together, it was great. But no, I never felt that it was a boys club and I was like intruding but yeah they're such a good friends they're good friends and they're good people and you can see that they were taking pictures the set photographer and there's one scene where michael is in the motorcycle and she just jumps in on the back and hugs him (laughs) and that's kind of like they just they know each other for a long time and i love that little moment where michael is like come on and she's like oh come on let's take a picture together smile and that was the only time that i saw them really be friends other times they were just they were just taking their time i mean like they were preparing to see you know michael prepare for a big speech and you know just see him chewing what he's gonna do and then shay is the same so it was actually great to see that michael and shay are both known for playing such extremely intense characters but michael was at the film society for an audience q a a few years ago and i found him to be anything but intense. He was almost the complete opposite of who he is on screen. Yeah, that's something that surprised me as well. We had a scene, he got caught again. You can see it, but it's not completely there where Michael is coming to say sorry to Celia and he has flowers and she is laying in bed and through the conversation, they end up kissing. And the way I read it was so passionate. And so like, they're getting back together. It's good. You know, this is a reconciliation scene. The way Michael played it was so different from my imagination, but it worked so, so well because Mm -hmm. he took his time delivering his lines. And it was just so intense that maybe the kiss was cut because it was not needed. So yeah, Michael can deliver some really intense stuff. And then he breaks off and he's just, you know, he just wants the coffee and his his cigarette. And, you know, (laughs) he just wants his little time. And sometimes you feel that he might be shy or not, or maybe yes, or, you know, he's just such a complex character. I love him. Early on, your character's initial reaction, Celia says, you're just like all of the others. And then later, you're not at all like all of the others. Yeah. And it just shows you the arc of what happened for Celia. Yeah, it's unfortunate that they cut Celia's kind of like inner life, but I understand that they were going through a different direction. But those scenes are the ones that 
showed Celia's growth and like her mind open up to this new world. And this new world was brought to her by Shez's character. And that was awesome. And it was just beautiful written scenes where you realize where was she before Shay. Mm-hmm. And then you see her where she's going to be after Shay. There's two different people. One of the themes that really sticks out to me as a viewer in watching the film is that the theme of forgiveness is so strong. Yes. The movie for me, I saw forgiveness when I read the script and I saw a lot of hope. You know, sometimes in life, when you are stuck in a job or stuck in a relationship and you feel that that's it, that's going to be your life. And, you know, you just have to deal with it. And the thought of like starting from scratch. It's too much. I, I, I don't know. I just, I just saw that in this movie that she was stuck there for such a long time with hating the cousin because the cousin is in a bad place and he is a bad boy of the town. And she knows that he is the one that is stealing cars and dealing with drugs. And the end of the movie, you see her forgiving the cousin and believing the cousin. And I think for once being on his side. And I think that's really beautiful. Given the times that we're currently living in, still stuck at home, it seems like it's giving us time to turn inward a bit more. Do you think that this movie and that theme of forgiveness makes it even more appropriate for right now? I hope so. I mean, like, I hope that after this ends, people will see life in a different light. How so? I think priorities have to change. You know, my family is in Colombia, all of them, including my 90-year-old grandmother. And sometimes when I've had the time to go home and visit them, I've decided, well, I might just stay because the traveling and the kid. And I've had so many excuses not to visit them. But from now on, every December, I will be back home. Mm. You know, grandma's not going to be there forever. And just the fear that if something happens at night, I, I couldn't go back home. Yeah, priorities have to change. I'd rather just spend time with people that I love and that love me than, I don't know, whatever. But I just feel that for me, I just like to spend my time with my family. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old. And today, I felt like I'm magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being it's questioned. It's going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are... The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkcocom slash a moment of your time. You were born and raised in Bogota? Yes. I understand you were in college when you were first cast to be in Maria Full of Grace. Is that correct? Yes, I was in like sixth semester of advertising. You had never done acting on film before? No. 
I understand that the writer-director, Joshua Marston, had interviewed 900 women to play Maria yeah. over a three-month period. And he was so frustrated at not finding Maria that he had almost given up on the project because he felt that he had to find just the right person. And then he met you. That story is still so crazy to me that I was in the right place in the right time when Josh was doing a casting in Bogota. In 2000, I was graduating from high school and I have told my parents that I was going to go to Stella Adler in New York to study acting. And they were very, very upset. My mom is a doctor and my dad is a vet. And, you know, all my family has you know, lawyers and dentists and they're very different from an artist. They wanted me to stay and do some something with my life instead mm. of being an artist. I was ready to go. And then September 11 happened and I couldn't. So I had to stay in Colombia. So I decided to go with advertising. But I didn't leave the acting. Instead, I told my parents that if I stayed in Colombia, I had to take some theater classes. And they agreed. So yeah, thanks to that, I got Maria because that's how I met Josh. For those who have not seen this wonderful movie, this is about a young pregnant woman forced by circumstances to become a drug mule. It's as small as an independent movie can be. Yeah. And it became so celebrated that you received an Oscar nomination. It's the first time a Colombian has ever been nominated. And it's the first time an actress who only speaks Spanish in her role was yeah. nominated. It was insane. Yeah, it was a lot of insanity, I think. My child, he's, he's 11 now, he asked me a while ago, what did it feel to be like nominated for an Oscar in my first movie? And I couldn't respond a better way than to be like, it, it was just very confusing. Mm. It was very fast. I really never expected, first of all, for the movie to be in theaters, to be going to festivals, to be winning stuff. So to be at the Oscars, it was just... A, like a dream it was it was so hazy and I just don't remember much it was it was a crazy time for me it's like one year you're in college the next year you're at the academy awards basically yeah basically it was insane and you know how fast everything developed I think we were in Berlin when everything started to oh my god this is going to be huge for the movie for and I just didn't understand what was happening it was my first time in Europe <laughs> So uh, just, what is this? The movie won what? I was just so confused. Everything was just so confusing. So yeah, that was a crazy time. But it did lead you to move to New York. Of course, yeah. I went to New York. I didn't go to Estella Adler, but I went to Strasbourg. Mm -hmm. And I stayed there for, I think, a year and a half, too. And then the movie started going to festivals. Yeah, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have been able to live my dream that was study acting in New York, I guess. Yeah. What prompted the move to LA? Um, my kid, my kid was born in New York, 2008. And I stay there as long as I could until he was going to school and the winter was too cold and the summer was too hot. And, you know, sometimes he was not able to go out and I don't know. It was the practicality of just jumping in the car and going to the beach. And I just thought it was nicer for him to experience that and to live in a city that the weather was more welcoming. And he loves it. You know, he loves it. 
I mean, as a working actor, do you feel that you've ended up having more opportunities as a result because you went on to do Paris Jatem, you did Fast Food Nation, you did Che, you ended up doing The Affair on Showtime. I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I am so, I'm so grateful that I've been able to do all that. But don't get me wrong, sometimes I feel that there's nothing there's nothing out there. And I think I'm not the only actress, actor that thinks that the last job was the last job. Mm. But I have put my kid first place. So after Che, I stopped working for two years because mm. I wanted to stay with him. So then coming back after two years of hiatus was really, really hard. And I think right now what's happening to me is that I am putting my family first. Mm. And jobs can come, but his little dance from school, I will be there. No matter where I am, I, I will I will be there. This is not to diss our listeners on the East Coast, but if you've got to be staying at home, which is better, New York or Los Angeles? I, I mean, I love New York. I would have stayed in New York if it was not for my kid. And I thought yeah. LA was like a bigger and wider space for him. But, you know, the beaches are closed in LA. We can hike that we, a lot of Angelinos do here. I have a lot of friends in New York, so I mean, I'm gonna be stuck either way. So it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't matter. I know that you did not have any scenes with Bruno Bashir, but did you have any chance to talk with Bruno at all? Yeah, yeah, we saw each other um, a few days, I think, when he was doing some flashback and I was passing through. I've met him before through Damien. It was very small. Hello. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I love Bruno. I think Bruno is a wonderful actor. He, he is very involved with theater. So it would have been fantastic to have something to do with him. And of course, he and his brother are all part of the same Mexico film community that you've worked with so many of them on Che. Oh my God. Yeah. In Che, there was people from every single part of the world. You know, Che was a two-part movie, two hours each. So there were so many people involved in that movie. I know that Oscar Isaac was involved in that movie. You know, there, there was just a lot of people that I ended up working with them afterwards. And they were like, oh, I was in Che. I'm like, when? How? I didn't see you. Where were you? So that movie was just so big. There were so many people coming in and out of that movie that, yeah, I mean, like we probably we we were there at the same time. So we never saw each other because we were in different places. I've read interviews. You talk about some of the people that you've always wanted to work with and you've ended up working with so many of them. Yeah. Is it ever like a pinch me moment? Always. Even when they told me that Michael was going to be in this movie, it was a pinch me moment. It was like, oh my God, I love that guy. He's just so good in everything. He's just an actor that is constantly good. So yeah, I mean, like just working with great actors. One of my goals is to learn from them and mm -hmm. and to see them, how they prepare and to, to see them, you know, do scene after scene to see if they do something different or how they change and what are they changing. And I could see that firsthand and that's how I learn from them. And I will hopefully take that with me in my future jobs. Is there anything specific that you can take away from your experience on the quarry? You know, I found in this, every time that I work in this, little movies, indie movies, I find that most of the people that work in them, not just the actors, but the crew, they really like the script and they really are devoted to this movie, even though there's no money. They really like the product. 
And when you find that kind of people that help each other, that collaboration, it just is fantastic. It mm -hmm. is great. Michael and Shay are such a good friends, but they just want everyone to be okay. They don't worry just about themselves or other actors, but it's a sense of community that we're in this together. So yeah, yeah, I think it's just a sense of community. One of the things I found really intriguing about the movie is that it involves a bad man posing as a priest. And that most recently was done in the movie Corpus Christi, which was one of the finalists for last year's Best Foreign Feature. And it just seems so interesting that this has become a theme. It was even a major theme in the TV series Hell on Wheels recently. Huh. Why is this in the zeitgeist? <laughs> I find myself asking, why is this suddenly a storyline that appeals so much? Yeah, I watched that movie too. And I remember it was a, kind of like a kid that was just drinking and partying. And he, in his crazy mind, he just became this priest and started preaching. I think the character of Shay is different in the way that he was leaving. I mean, he murdered someone. He committed a crime. And I think the Corpus Christi movie... I think he was just playing. But then I think Shea's character really got into that. And I don't know. I saw a big difference between those two. I do hope you had at least some good times. It wasn't all dark on the set all the time. Oh, no, it was so much fun. No, no, no. I had, I had fun. Especially I have so much fun watching them work and seeing their process. And for me as an actress, I think that's, that's what I take in every movie. That's what I take in every job. I just try to take, you know, these actors that I admire what they do. Are there any specific uh, times between takes where it was just very lighthearted? Not really. I think between takes, as I said before, everyone just taking their space and their time and, you know, very quiet. And the lighter moments happen when Shay would say something. And Shay's kind of like this bubbly personality. He's always like on fire. And Michael is the contrary. But you just respect you know, they were just respecting their own spaces. Well, as we close things out, we are all stuck at home still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts you want to share with the audience about what we're all going through right now? I think we just have to be grateful that we are at home and we're safe and we just have to be patient and mm. take one day at a time. Catalina Sandino Moreno from the movie The Quarry. Thank you so much for joining us on Hollywood Unscripted. Thank you so much, Scott. Hollywood Unscripted is created by Kurt Co Media and presented in cooperation with the Malibu Film Society. This episode was hosted by Scott Talal with guest Catalina Sandino Moreno. Produced and edited by Jenny Curtis. Mastering by Michael Kennedy. The executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any special episodes of Hollywood Unscripted Stuck at Home. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind. <laughs>